0: Hi, it's Dating Coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma Podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is John Levy. John is a behavioral scientist, consultant, writer, and keynote speaker best known for his work in the fields of influence, networking, and adventure. He's the founder of The Influencer's Dinner, The Salon, and the author of The 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. Today, he's going to teach us how to live lives with more adventure, how to build community and deep connection. John, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it?
1: Uh, Sure. Well, I'm a behavioral scientist. And so I look at influence and decision making. I've studied everything from coupon use to, I think, I did the largest study in dating history. Um, And. I think I really got into it because I was super unpopular <laughs> as a kid and wanted to figure out how to make friends. So uh, human behavior was the natural thing to kind of try and understand. Um, uh, it really ended up leading to a lot of kind of interesting places. So I studied, I did a, an entire book about the science of adventure. And I also really spent a lot of time looking at uh, what engages the most influential people in our culture.
0: What were some of the things that you learned between those two different processes or experiences? Oh wow,
1: <laughs> That's, um, that occupied I don't know, ten or fifteen years of my life. <laughs> uh, so, uh, pick a topic: influence or adventure.
0: Uh, let's briefly talk about adventure, and then I want to move into influence.
1: Great. So, uh, the basic premise was I didn't understand why I couldn't have as exciting life as and a life as exciting as a Hollywood movie, right? Like I'm not talking where I have to like throw a ring into a mountain or something like that, uh, full of magic, but, uh, like Ferris Bueller's day off. Why can't that be my life? And people said, Oh no, that kind of stuff doesn't actually exist. It can't happen. And I said, Oh, that's not true because I keep hearing stories from people about crazy stuff they've done. What is it that they embody that, uh, I can learn from and improve the quality of my life. And I ended up discovering that every adventurous experience actually follows a predictable four-stage process. And each stage has specific characteristics that when you apply them make life exciting. And so I set out to travel and test them to actually see if I could make my life incredibly adventurous. And the first thing I had to come to terms with was that nobody had a Definition of adventure that satisfied me, and so I had to create one. And so, I define an adventure as an experience that is one exciting and remarkable. It's literally worth talking about. It's worth remarking. Two, possesses adversity and or risk, meaning there's a challenge that you have to overcome, and that risk can be a perceived risk. It doesn't actually have to involve like a near death experience. Something that you're emotionally really scared of attempting is plenty to overcome. And then third is it brings about growth. The person you are at the end is distinct from the person who started. Now, if you look at any great hero or heroine's journey, they're different at the end than when they started. And so that became my definition for adventure. And from there, I participated in some of the craziest things you could imagine. I was crushed by a bull in Pamplona and almost died, I, within 10 seconds of meeting the woman behind the duty-free counter at Stockholm Airport, uh, she quit her job and started traveling with me and my family. That's pretty crazy. (laughs) It was absolute insanity. I ended up crashing Kiefer Sutherland's Thanksgiving dinner. And playing Drunken Django with him until like two o'clock in the morning, like just crazy stuff that made no sense, um, started to come out of everything I was learning about human behavior.
0: Okay, I got the definition. So now, explain to me the stages.
1: Most people think that uh, that um, adventures kind of happen randomly, but there's actually a lot of preparation beforehand. The most important thing by far, by far is that you have the right group of people. The right group of people, you could have the worst party, but Mm -hmm. if you're with the right people, it's incredibly fun and exciting. Uh, And if you're at the greatest party in the world and with the wrong group of people, it's absolutely miserable. So you want to select, I encourage selecting for diversity of knowledge and skills. I encourage people who are really positive and, are willing to embarrass themselves and risk um, getting things wrong and screwing up along the way, because since there is adversity, you're going to need to be able to grapple with failure. So that's one of the many preparatory things. I recommend a new location, because a novel environment uh, will literally have your brain interact differently with it. So you're more open to explore and understand things. Your behavior can change from the context that you're in. Um, And then uh, I would encourage that you have some kind of goal and some constraints on your behavior to make the challenge more interesting. Uh, So let's say you live in a small town, right? There are limited, there's three bars or something like that. So what do you actually do to make things interesting? Well. Everybody goes to the same bars. Everybody does the same thing night after night. What if you created a rule for the night that you can't pay for any of your own drinks, meaning you have to convince people to do it or barter or whatever the challenge becomes? Then it makes the experience more interesting because you can't interact with the environment in the same way that you're used to. It brings about new ways of thinking and uh, it has the group or yourself act differently. I did a a project where I would go into a city for about I don't know twenty hours, and I wouldn't be allowed to get a hotel room. I'd either convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I'd sleep on the street.
0: And how did that go?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, really oddly. One time I was in um, Nice, France, I ended up thinking I was going to be sleeping on the cobblestones and I ended up in a three-story chateau on the border of Monaco. And one time I went to Lima, Peru, and I had no idea what was going to happen with me because I I didn't speak Spanish. Um, And uh, I managed to find this really nice guy who took me out on the town, and we just partied until like five o'clock in the morning. I took a 45 minute nap on his couch and then went to the airport
0: <laughs> that, that doesn't sound sustainable that sounds fun <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's super interesting it's nerve-wracking as anything because there are certain parts of lima that if i would have gone there alone i would have been screwed but it was uh, it was definitely interesting and a, definitely a growth experience so,
0: uh, that's really interesting so Okay, goals const- uh, and constraints of behavior. Um, what would be? So that's all the
1: things that you set up. That's what you put in at the beginning of the experience. But the basics after that point are: uh, you have to you establish the right elements, which is the first step. Uh, then you need to push boundaries, so you have to cross some kind of social, physical, or emotional boundary you have to then increase the maximum emotional value of the environment that you're in.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, like, do everything that you can before you move on. Okay. I mean, you, you don't have to. You could, uh, to increase, you can use challenges, right? So like, let's say we go into a restaurant or a bar, and uh, assuming you're single, I would say, I, uh, I bet you can't get that girl's number. And so that challenge actually causes or fuels the interaction. It could be, let's convince that group of five people to come with us to the next location, or let's, uh, have, you know, let's get everybody in the bar to start singing karaoke. But there's fundamentally interactions that you fuel based on
0: the challenges you want to take on. You sound like you're in my classes. <laughs> <laughs> In your what in our in our classes, that's exactly the type of stuff we do. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah.
1: So, um, but the point is that you're maximizing the emotional experience within an environment before you move on. Now, you don't have to go like all the way, all the way, but it's just about. uh, You can use challenges. You can use. um, Let me see. You can entertain people, so it could be anything from storytelling to magic to whatever it is that you think. uh, Whatever your skills are, I mean, there's a whole bunch of options. There's surprises, so you can surprise people with something. Or it's also about catching uh, when a surprise occurs, knowing how to react to it so that it it provides value to you and the group. And then the final stage is continue. You look at uh, what's called the rate, the risk, and unpredictability of the next location, the ambiance, an activity, uh, the transportation involved to get there, and uh, and if those don't make sense to go to a new location, then you end with style. So it's, um, and if you look at the initials of all of it, it's established push boundaries, increase, continue. So it's the epic model for adventure. And what we'd say is, a book called The 2 a.m. Principle, and so we say, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. Meaning, you either have a, crazy night where you end up in a dance-off with usher or you have a or you should have just gone home because frankly most of the time when people stay up past 2 a.m it ends up with them grabbing pizza super drunk being like dude where do we go next (laughs) and there's not much to do
0: i definitely hear you and so if somebody's listening to this um what john's talking about is is a book that he wrote this is a lot of stuff from the book that he wrote so yeah we'll, we'll put some links in the description I don't know anything else you want to add around that
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd say the most important one uh, Okay, so if we were going to uh, Break down adventure into simplest simplest form The scope of your life or the size of it is directly proportionate to your willingness to be uncomfortable You can't grow without overcoming a challenge you can't overcome a challenge without being uncomfortable and so how uncomfortable you're willing to be is how is the potential for how adventurous your life is and how much growth you experience and the true gift of adventure isn't okay i ran with the bulls or whatever it is it's the growth you experience because you're going to forget so many of your adventures and experiences but years later you'll still walk away with the growth and the person you've become so I would, uh, I encourage people to do adventurous things, not just because it's fun, it's exciting, it's engaging, but it also makes you a better person. Um, and then the other thing is that the biggest challenge people face when, uh, trying to have exciting and fun experiences is that they, they, uh, put way too much pressure on themselves and too much expectation. And, uh, the key is to know when to cut out like when is it time to say I'm done and the simple Way to judge. This is something called the peak end rule uh, Famous Nobel laureate by the name of Dan Kahneman. He wrote a book called thinking fast thinking slow. I uh, Discovered that human beings don't process the duration of pleasure or pain they process the peaks of experiences and how they end and so the big mistake most people make is they try to drag out an experience as long as possible rather than as good as possible. And so they'll reach a point where if they were to end it, they'll remember it really positively. But instead, they keep letting it deteriorate into nothing. And then they're more tired the next day. And they don't remember the experience fondly. It's like imagine going on a date and with someone you're super excited to be out with, and then in the last three seconds they say something absolutely terrible. Then and somebody asks you how was the date, good date or bad date? You'll probably say bad date. Yeah. And it's because you ended on a really negative note. So the key is know when to call it. If there isn't really like a clear group of people with you that are going to take on a challenge, then learn to call it earlier. There's no shame in that. And then you have the energy the next day to do something else.
0: I I want to move into some of this influencer stuff that you're doing. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about your work around influencers and salon and these different community building things that you're doing? No. No. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So
1: <laughs> could you imagine I schedule this podcast with you and then absolutely refuse to talk about everything
0: you uh, you asked me it, to? It would definitely be amusing. <laughs> uh,
1: for about like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'd
0: probably hang on there for a while because of self amusement. But yeah, I, I, that, that's funny. Um, yeah, go ahead. Roll. Let's roll with this.
1: So um, I guess let's start off with some basics. Uh, My basic belief is that anything we want in life, whatever it is that you want to achieve, is a byproduct of two factors. One is who you're connected to. And two is how much they trust you in that capacity. Meaning that if you, uh, if I know the right people, whatever that means for me, right, Uh, and they really trust me and they feel emotionally invested in me, I'll be able to pull off almost anything I want. Now, the key is in that capacity, because you might really trust me as a behavioral scientist. You're not going to trust me as your neurosurgeon because I have no idea how to perform neurosurgery. So if that's the case, if my theory is correct, then anything we want to accomplish, we just have to become experts on those two things, which is how to connect with people and how to build trust with them quickly. And to that end, I got really curious what causes the most influential people in our culture to engage and connect. And I, at the age of 28, wasn't exactly doing anything that exciting or remarkable with my life, but I wanted to do something exceptional. And I uh, spent a year modeling the behavior of influential people. And at the end, I came up with a theory and I put it to the test. And so I created a secret dining experience. Twelve people are invited. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when they sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess what everybody else does. And they find out that it's Malcolm Gladwell, the president of MTV, the editor-in-chief of Elle, a two-time Olympian, whatever it is that you can imagine. I've hosted over 1,500 people in uh, 168 dinners in nine cities in three countries. Um, and it's grown into this really wonderful tight knit
0: community of literally the world's most extraordinary and best. I'm going to ask you about sort of how, how you developed it, but what type of conversations uh, and experience sort of come out of these, these dinners where you bring these people together?
1: Well, because a lot of it's spent cooking and playing, uh, the guessing game, then it's, not what people would expect it's not like some crazy like people are just really curious about each other because the nobel laureate has no idea what it's like to go to the olympics or the editor in chief of a magazine is well they're just generally inquisitive so uh have no idea what it's like to i don't know uh be on a TV show, whatever it is. So they're all just super inquisitive. And uh, like last night, we had one of the top genetic geneticists in the world. And people are super curious because he's figuring out how to correct for genetic mutations at the embryonic stage, meaning that uh, he was involved in the three parent uh, fertilization project where they took an egg from. One person took out the mitochondrial DNA, put in DNA from a woman into the egg, and then took a sperm from a a male donor. And so three human beings were involved in the creation of a single baby.
0: That's going to make the family tree in first grade really complicated.
1: (laughs) Uh But it's... You know that kind of stuff is just fascinating. The people who are most interesting generally are the researchers Because they have knowledge or experience and it's also the people who are working on social issues I right? there was a woman who's helping reform the prison system uh, and People were just absolutely amazed about how she's been able to reduce the recidivism rate from 80% to 5% That's incredible That's like a fundamental shift to the entire, um, prison industrial complex.
0: Dating coach Chris Lona here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break, to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. And we've talked a little bit about this before, um, and I and I find this just absolutely fascinating. What do you think the elements are for building great community?
1: Um, I think that you need to be really clear on what the community is about. Uh, so, let's say let's just use you as an example. Do you want to build a community? Is that something that's important to you? Uh, yeah. Okay. What would the focus of the community be? Because communities form again around a specific piece of content. Right, like a Bible, or a social issue, or parenting. Right, The PTA develops a community of dedicated parents, but that wouldn't exist if those, they weren't concerned about parenting and education. So there needs to be some context for the, for the way that people connect.
0: Yeah, I have a couple of different projects that I'm working on that are around community, but we'll use uh, entrepreneurship, for example, So, like, um, creating community around uh, entrepreneurs who feel isolated. Great.
1: Now, um, then the next question is, are you planning to have people meet in person? Or are they going to meet Is the quote-unquote
0: community online? Uh, I would say both, but initially in person. So... um, here's
1: what I want to be very clear about is that most people call something a community when really what they mean is an audience. So if I have, um, let me just think if I'm an Instagrammer with a million plus followers and I follow, or let's say I'm the beautiful destinations, uh, Instagram handle. They say, Oh, our community loves X, Y, and Z. That's not a community because the people aren't connected to one another. That's an audience because one person is speaking. And yes, there's some interaction, like there's a response like, yay, I love this photo, tag my friend. That's not a community. That's Now, some friends might be using it to interact or message each other or share things between them. But you're essentially a micromedia outlet. You're a smaller version of travel and leisure. So if that's the case, what's the... Um, what makes something a community is the ability to bring people together. And it's an especially strong community if they would continue to be together regardless of if you were there or not. Right? So the community of civil rights activists didn't just stop existing when Martin Luther King was assassinated. That mission continued. Now it continued in different forms. Some would argue less effectively and so on. But the point is that that's a strong enough community that it was and vibrant enough that it was able to to continue. So if you're actually saying let's build a community how do we do that? Well, you need to have a clear topic, a clear outcome that you're trying to achieve. Is it the education of entrepreneurs or if it's just dealing with the isolation? How do we deal with isolation? How do we make people feel more connected? And so is it group building activities? Is it conversations? Is it skill training? Is this a paid community or is it a public community? Is it, uh, what's the frequency of how it meets? And here's what's really important. There's something called the Ikea effect. And the Ikea effect states that you disproportionately care about your Ikea furniture because you had to assemble it. And so the key is to find something that they invest effort into. Now that could be an art project. It could be uh, that people bring their latest pitch decks and they work together on it it could be that each of them provides a hack to for productivity and shares it with the team and everybody becomes more productive whatever it is but there has to be an investment of effort because otherwise you have an audience if there's no investment of effort right it takes no effort to press like it takes effort to cook a meal and bring it to a potluck that's an investment and For community to exist you have to have people that invest effort So that's just the basics, right? So I think the question is You, you really have to grapple with is why the hell would you do this? like it's not building a community is something that has um, It it's inversely Proportionate in the early stages in terms of effort to result and it is um, exponential in the later stages, meaning the first year, two years, three years that you're building this community, it nothing might happen. You might get people showing up and people thinking it's great and all that. And then you'll reach a critical mass. And after that point, brands will start coming to you or you'll be able to sell in programs with uh, Entrepreneur Magazine or you'll be able to have... Big tech companies come to you and say, hey, we want to do uh, product uh, testing with you, whatever it is. But you have to be very clear, like, what is is it that you actually want from this? I, I was fortunate enough that when I created the influencers, my rule was that I'm in no rush anywhere. So I... Didn't take any money from anyone. I'm not beholden to anyone I paid for it all out of pocket and I'm talking thousands upon thousands and thousands of dollars It's super expensive because we're in nine cities. So I fly around a lot Uh, But it also established me as an expert in the field and It's why a lot of companies talk to me is that they know I've I've proven track record So I hope that answers your questions
0: yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I have a few different things that I'm I'm working on uh, next year. I want to put together a conference around masculinity. Um, I the entrepreneur thing is really about me thinking. Uh, Can I ask why? Yeah, um, because so with Craft or Charisma, one of the things, that big shifts in this podcast has been towards a lot of stuff around wellness because I realized that um, a lot of the re- the issues related to dating for guys people would ask me all the time like what's the biggest issues and uh i'd always say oh anxieties but if i peel that back the anxi- anxieties were usually tied to trauma and they brought up a lot of other questions around things like what what does it mean for men to be well what is well as men's wellness or um what does it mean to be masculine uh especially with some of the cultural uh cultural questions that have been coming up in the media and so i've had an interest because it's t- directly tied to, to my work. And on a personal level, I feel like I wanna have more conversations around all of these things. And I also find that the people that I engage in these things also wanna talk about them. So what I'm trying to do is create a- But um, why a, a
1: conference?
0: Um, I think the conference is the idea behind a, it's not just a conference, I wanna do a series of smaller events. Um, but I think the idea of a conference allows me to maybe bring together uh, a lot of people who aren't interacting who I feel like would have interesting conversations so that's that's uh because I do this on a, a daily basis right like I'm I'm on podcasts talking to people and and getting a feel for where they're, what they're interested in I'm also talking to clients on a daily basis and and getting interest of where their interests are and I'm curious what would happen if we were to put them in uh, put them in a bigger space. And where, where are you going with this line of questioning?
1: Uh, I just think that conferences uh, are built on a kind of old model and aren't necessarily valuable from a, an experience perspective in the sense that if you do a conference, the iteration process is really slow. Right? So most people do it as annual or biannual, uh, maybe even quarterly. And that means that the learnings happen very slowly. But if you run something once a month, once a week, whatever it is, your learnings are very fast, and so it's. Um, I think that it's uh, it, it's fine. You can do it, but I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm just not sold that. I think that we're stuck in this paradigm of what success looks like around gatherings, and it's kind of silly. I think, like
0: that's that's a great. That's great. So, like, I mean, I think you're probably leading into it anyway. What do you think success does look like as far as gatherings, and what do you think this model, based on your experience, of building a building community should look like? I, I don't think it should look like anything.
1: I think that uh, it has to come from what your intention is. And, uh, and if your intention is to impact people, uh, you have to ask at what scale. And so you can probably get more done with 12 people over the course of two days than you could a hundred people over the course of four days, uh, if you design it effectively and you could create more connection and intimacy and strength of bond between them. But the question is, are you looking? Is the objective to have a certain financial output or no. is it And I'm the problem is that conferences are super hard to fill. To get that many people whose schedules align is tough. To get that many people to pay for something is tough. And so, uh, it's uh, it really depends on what you are trying to accomplish. And so, if you could reach twelve, oh, sorry, the same number of people, but over the course of two months, uh, once a week over a four-hour period of time, uh, you can iterate, learn, and produce a better product than if you had a hundred people at a
0: a conference. That's a great point. So. That leads me to my next question, is having done research on, on a lot of this stuff, what are your favorite communities and why? Um,
1: I, It's a, a tough question because I think the communities that are most effective are the ones that I would never come in contact with. Uh, AA, uh, cancer survivors, uh, parents with children who have autism, right, these groups, tend to be very supportive of each other and uh, incredibly tightly knit and uh, deeply involved in one another's lives. Uh, and fortunately, I, I've i never had cancer or suffered from alcoholism or anything like that. So the communities that are tend to be the strongest, at least from the outside perspective, are the ones that have the most immediate need and who are struggling with something. And so I've been very fortunate not to have any major injuries or, I mean, when I was crushed by the bull, yes, but not like, there's no like bull recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, The veterans, um, former military people, are incredibly tightly knit from what I understand. So, and super supportive of each other. So I think that's a really interesting community. But it's one of these things that uh, I think the communities that are most successful have a very clear mission and uh, understand why they're bringing people together. It doesn't mean that everybody needs to love each other. It means that they need to be able to work towards
0: whatever that goal or objective is. So a specific mission or intent.
1: Yeah. Like the civil rights movement like if you like or dislike somebody that's secondary to will these actions lead to a greater level of equality between all peoples i'm hearing like a shared a shared purpose Mm -hmm. or at least a very clear reason to gather it could be knitting right like you could have a knitting circle that is incredibly well tightly knit i guess (laughs) unintended uh but it it, it doesn't have some like glorious objective to saving people's lives, but it gives people purpose and it brings people
0: together. Yeah, I think it's super, super interesting. What what are some of the other things that you picked up observing community or communities that work well? Oh,
1: wow. I I don't know. I think that there needs to be a level of organization. I need, think it needs to fit in well into people's lives. Uh, well... Others make it intentionally difficult to fit into their lives, right? Like part of the reason that certain communities work well is that you're, it's difficult, Like the entry point is difficult. Look at uh, fraternities or sororities. You have to be hazed and attempted to, and to like pledge and go through the embarrassing processes. But when you come out the other side, you feel like you've earned your stripes and you're part of a community now. Look at the Navy SEALs or the Rangers, right? to shoot back to the military it's it's a brotherhood or a sisterhood that exists as a byproduct of what you have to go through to enter it
0: one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this with you because i feel like not everybody's going to go out and and start an organization uh, or start a a new some type of social club it's just not
1: necessary there's plenty of them i mean i'm encouraged. I encourage you to uh to bring people together and gather, but like nobody needs to dedicate their life to like building a community. I think it's good for you, but it's not in everybody's
0: personality yeah well what I, where where I was going with this is just that one of the things i i mentioned um for me there's a strong interest in wellness specifically men's wellness because it's so directly tied to my work and oftentimes we're talking about the technical stuff. Like how do you approach somebody? How do you start a conversation? Um, But social health, this idea of social health, of um, building connection and building community and building a support structure, just like going out and making great friends and feeling emotionally connected to them and and building experiences together that bond you to them in a deeper way. Like this is um, a big part, in my opinion, of male health that, I can see sometimes missing in my clients. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you come on and talk about some of these things. Um, there is interest. I do have interest in community building, but like that's actually the deeper reason. Um, sort of knowing that I, I don't know if there's anything else sort of come up for you and recommendations for people who are listening to this, who are trying to figure out how to build, build a circle of their people.
1: Um, my recommendation is really simple: just start with something
0: and keep doing it,
1: and see what people respond well to and what they don't. And uh, keep iterating and iterating and iterating. Building a community is a living, breathing experience, uh, and it's a like it's something that needs to be nurtured and cared for and developed. And so, what you start off with, in I've built communities for everybody from like samsung to have helped design we work stuff like uh it's and what consistently is important to understand is that it's an iterative process where things evolve and so try something on day one it might be a board games night it might be a knitting circle it might be but the key is it has to be original to you you can't copy somebody else's thing because otherwise it's like the you know worst version of something that's already out there uh you want to be original and create something that's uh, that you can own, that you can build your reputation on and your status. And that might be going hiking and talking about social causes. It might be uh, starting a swim group or a cycling team. I just started a secondary group for uh, where I to support marginalized communities where I bring them to a cycling class and I bring executives that are from those groups. so the women, people of color, uh, LGBT, plus, and we'd cycle together and then talk about the issue. And I'm, you know, a heterosexual male that essentially looks white. I'm not white, uh, but it's, I'm an ally to these groups uh, and support them.
0: And that's how I do it. Two questions. One, um, where do, is this just sort of a cross pollination of ideas where you're like, oh, this would be fun and this would be fun? Or is this something that you're, checking in with, with the group and sort of testing through conversations. Like, like how are you um, how did you come to the idea of doing this and, and what do you think um, of that of process doing what? of um doing sort of like cycling and a conversation afterwards? Like how how do you uh, I'm an
1: exercise junkie. Okay, so I cool. I figure if you can get people to sweat together, they'll hang out together and become friends. and uh, it has them go through like it's why the one of the reasons that the military has a like a elimination program that you have to go through hard training together because it bonds people. So if I can get people to train together and support one another, I know that they'll bond and they'll be more effective at working together. And have a more productive conversation.
0: And the the second question is, how do you reach out? Uh, when you, are these people that you knew, know or the people that you're emailing through LinkedIn or their friends are friends when you first start trying to see a community, what is that process? Uh, I you?
1: started with my friends and then um, I would ask for recommendations. And after doing a few, I would approach high profile strangers and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing uh, and take it from there.
0: And how often do you hold events? Uh, four to uh, how often about a hundred a year and do you when you're gonna hold event is it the same people each time are you shifting the the population or how because i i can imagine if you're changing if the people are always different then there's just like a a lot of active recruitment um if the people are the same then you're going to get more engagement it's going to be easier but maybe it's a little bit more static um and that might be okay? What is that process? Every group needs fresh blood. That's like, it adds to
1: the novelty. It also depends on the size. There's YPO has had an incredibly successful model where I think they meet in groups of six or 10. And it's the same group year after year for like 20 years. Um, I think that that's one way to do it. Another way. Young Presidents Organization?
0: Is that what you're referring to? Yeah.
1: Or? Okay. Exactly. Um, I know that other organizations switch it up every week or whenever they meet. And the reason is that the new perspectives um, are essential uh, to tackle problems in new ways and new information. So I think that there's a benefit to having consistency in the sense that somebody knows your patterns over time and other people, uh, and at other times it's really beneficial to have the novelty so you're exposed to completely different and new ideas. What type of organizations are you involved in? Um, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I go to Ted every year. I, um, what else? I support pop tech and go to that every year and I help curate it. I help, uh, a bit with the curation of Faust future of storytelling, uh, which is fun. Um, I, I curate a lot of stuff. I mean, people always ask me for recommendations for speakers and so I just spoke to the producer of the Freakonomics podcast and gave her a list of four or five people that they're probably going to have on the show now. So it's um it's fun stuff. It's super interesting. And uh but mostly it the stuff I'm involved in is around thought leadership and influence. I also do CrossFit and I do cycling and I do boxing and you could say those are communities to some degree i think crossfit's probably the one that fits most into the community model because it's kind of a harder barrier of entry and people work really hard together
0: yeah it's it's awesome I, I know for me community's been um really important whether it's like my men's groups or like i go to a couple different men's groups i go to these like soulful suppers um i go hang out at daybreaker in new york city like there's a series of things that i i engage in that, um I find a ton of meaning and connection and and uh it's awesome um cool man i like this has been super fascinating um we're close towards the end of time. any last suggestions word words of wisdom uh recommendations for the people yes. who are listening to this
1: uh there's a
0: relatively well known study
1: where people were um, where students were invited to come in and play or like do some group activity and the researchers had one person come in a few minutes early and switch their shirt that they were wearing from whatever they had on to one that had a picture of Barry Manilow I think this was done in like the late 90s early 2000s and researchers found that Barry Manilow would have been the most embarrassing image to uh, to be wearing And at the end of the experience, uh, they asked the person, um, how was it to wear it? And they're like, oh, it's embarrassing. And then they said, what percentage of people do you think noticed that you were wearing this Barry Manilow t-shirt? And they said, uh, like, at least half, right? So 50%. And when researchers surveyed the attendees, about 25% of them had even noticed it. And I'm sure they didn't even care. Uh, So it goes to show how we get really self-conscious about stuff that nobody gives a crap about. And at most, half of people will notice the thing that you're worried about. And of the ones that notice, I doubt anybody actually cares. So unless you're doing some screwed up racist things uh, or sexist, misogynistic uh, things, I don't think anybody cares which shirt you're wearing or what you're up to like just people are too preoccupied with themselves to notice what's going on with most people so uh relax (laughs) don't worry about stuff as much there are better things to think about uh and instead of wasting all that energy on that go do something productive go enjoy yourself
0: john this has been incredible thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me it's been a pleasure and if you're listening to this you want to learn more about John and his book, The 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure and all the work that he's done. We're gonna post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so that you can learn about him and his work more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. My pleasure, all right, have a great day. You too. It's dating coach Chris Thoney here Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.